Hello and welcome to A Queer Understanding, weekly conversations about all things queer. We are your hosts, Dr. Angelica Thompson and Akessa Thompson. For more information about the show and to hear more episodes, visit us at aqueerunderstanding.com. Welcome back. So last week, you heard part one of the riveting conversation with Maurice Tomlinson, the human rights attorney fighting for equal rights among queer people in the Caribbean. Here's the rest of our conversation. I think with a lot of advocacy work and what you're doing and people standing behind you, and I just say, I want to get involved. I think well, that it will bring some heat. It's not going to happen overnight because you have, you have done a lot, you know. And can you talk to us a little bit about Montego Bay Pride? And so the pushback that you got from authorities there, because I remember at one point it was a protest. Yes. So I like to um, correct one thing you're saying, that I have done a lot. No, we have done a lot. I have been the face because it's been safe for me to be the face because I can leave. But there's no way Maurice Tomlinson in and of himself could have accomplished anything. (laughs) Right. But I've had the privilege of being the face of a very grassroots movement um, edgy movement, because I, I like to remind us that in every liberation struggle, there's always two camps. There's one that's more cautious and there's one that's more edgy. And initially I was in the cautious group, but I've realized that polite people don't really accomplish much in terms of social change. I'm not saying I'm radical, you know, because I'm still a lawyer and thing. So, you know, I kind of have to downplay it a little bit, but uh, there are some really radical people there that I really gravitate towards and have allowed me to participate in their liberation struggle and have allowed me to be the face while they continue to live on the island. One of them, this grouping, is Montego Bay Pride. And Montego Bay Pride started because there was a pride in Jamaica called Pride Jamaica, which was mostly happening in Kingston, right? And the people on the northern end of the island were having issues getting there. They felt excluded and they just thought that, you know, we should have our own event. And I thought, well, why not? We can have two prides. There's no law that says you can only have one pride in Jamaica. So I said, well, Pride Jamaica happens in the summer. Montego Bay Pride will happen in the fall around different holidays. So Montego Bay Pride happens around National Heroes Day. And um, we initially just wanted to have a one-day thing, you know. We had a, a little thing at my aunt's villa, and I thought, oh, wait a minute, we're done. We're not going to have any more. Um, <laughs> you know, that was my one. And then hopefully Pride Jamaica would have seen that there was a community in Montego Bay that needed its own thing and it never quite evolved that way instead people in Montego Bay said nope they want their own thing and they wanted a little more edgy and they wanted to be more visible they they weren't happy just going off and doing uh you know a party they wanted to be more visible so we devised a way to do this and be safe and how you do it for Montego Bay Pride is that you register online and then community members we vet your email and if you're not somebody that we trust we don't allow you to go any further right and then we just kick you out of the the email group then on the night before each event we send you directions to a remote location and we send a bus to pick you up there and we check you again to make sure you're legitimate Mm -hmm. and then we transport you to the event 
And so by doing that, we've built in a lot of structural safety because we were concerned about hiring police because, you know, mm-hmm. well, let's face it, <laughs> it's a small <laughs> island. So, you know, yeah. you can't trust everybody. Right. And we couldn't afford private security. So we said we do our own structural security. And Touchwood, we've had um, five prides with no incident. And what we did, we had like a film festival where we showed queer films um, and we invited the public. We didn't tell them they were queer films. Just let them come. We just tell them, film <laughs> festival. They come. Let them come. This is a lot of queer films. By the time they realize it's too late, they have, they have to stay. Right. Them food. You, know, you have to serve free food. You There's a thing. Have to give food. <laughs> then they'll leave before the food serves. So they sit around and wait. <laughs> we had um, parties. Um, we had a church service. And the thing that really, I think, defined the Montego Bay Pride is that we held the first public march. Uh, well, we call it a walk. Okay. <laughs> An LGBT walk in, I think, 2018. Where... We, um, we, and, and again, this is the group in Jamaica. This is not me. As I'm sitting here in Canada thinking, well, you know, they'll never ever go for that. They suggest they want to, they want to be in public. They see it happening overseas why they can't do it. So I say, okay, I'll negotiate with the police. So I negotiated with the police and, um, they said they'd give us a very small area. We could walk, but it was in public. Nobody would know when it was going to happen. The police would just tell us to be ready at a particular time. And they'd come, they just block off the road. We walk for 30 minutes and then they remove the barriers. Before anybody realized what was happening, we had walked and gone home. So <laughs> nobody had a time to, to, to mobilize and attack us. So that was the first, you know, I think, really dramatic thing. You know, it was people were shocked that it could happen. This following year, we got an expression of interest from Eka Mouse who is a Jamaican DJ of some note, right? That he wanted to be a part of Montego Bay Pride because he thinks it's time now, this whole homophobia thing is nonsense. We need to stop it. We need to grow up as a country. So, you know, the musicians, like, as you probably saw, Spice is going to perform at Toronto Pride. All musicians are aware. They know their colleagues who are gay and they just think Jamaica just being stupid. So Ika Mouse said he wanted to perform at our Pride event. And... For about four years, we had used the Montego Bay Cultural Center as a site for our film festivals and other events. And as usual, we asked for the the cultural center. We get permission, you know. But in 2019, the former mayor, Charles Sinclair, a senator, government senator, who was so opposed that... He brought it up in the council meeting that, oh, we're having this gay thing at the cultural center, which is owned by the city. And if we do this, we are violating the laws and it's a mm-hmm. sacred space and all sorts of nonsense. I mean, it's a public secular space. It's, you know, it's, it's open for rental. Mm-hmm. But we going to use it would have tainted it in some way. Right. So he got the mayor to basically block us, deny us permission. We sued him. And at the first instance, we won. The court said, yep, we have the right to use it. It's discrimination. But when it went on appeal, on a technicality, I would say we were overturned. I would say we're not going to bother to fight. And we were, we were told we could go ahead and try again to rent it. But then they jacked up the price on us. So it wouldn't have made any sense. And by then, Ika Mouse had kind of backed out anyway. So 
But, you know, we still that year had our walk, even though people were scared because once the mayor got involved, a lot of the venues that we had already booked canceled on us. We couldn't get anywhere to rent. People were saying they're not going to rent because a lot of unnecessary, you know, heat, non-light, just heat was generated. But we were able still to have our walk. Then we went and found a, a, a venue where we could have a little beach thing. Um, and we did. Um, so we, we were able to, despite all of these growing pains, and I dare say that we taught the mayor of Montego Bay a lesson. Mm-hmm. We taught him a lesson. The LGBT community is not going anywhere, you know. You no. better get used to us. Exactly. <laughs> we're here, we're queer, and we're here to stay. And we're not going anywhere. No way. So, you know, I think the next time we try... We will have a better, we'll have better success. But the, the, these things, sometimes, you know, you lose, you think, boy, that's the end. Of, no, we have made a statement and the police were willing to provide us with security for our walk, even after what the mayor said. And the court even said to, in, the, in one of the rule, one of the statements in court was, um, Jamaica's constitution protects everybody. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And we should not be discriminated against. No, we just have to make that real and that's the work i do now okay so you mentioned death threats was there any uh, you told us about that horrible case um with the lesbian couple they were a couple yeah yeah um were there any particular cases that really caused uh, you to get those death threats so when i started writing to the jamaica newspaper complaining about all the harassment of LGBT people. Um, I started getting death threats and one of them was so vulgar and scary that I went to the police to report it. And the police basically told me, you know, to get out of the station because they hate gays and we make them sick. Oh, wow. So I reported the matter to the, the senior command and they said they would investigate. They never did. And uh, since then, there have been most, there other death threats, but I have mother to report them because I don't think there'll be any investigation, proper investigation. What, what what distressed me though was when I had gotten a death threat because of my marriage to my Canadian husband became public front page news in Jamaica, <laughs> despite my not wishing it to be, <laughs> one of my students who was teaching at university at the time decided to publish as a comment my class schedule and the car that I drove. Oh, wow. So, you know, you, you think pe- your, your students, because it's not that they didn't know I was gay. I was teaching discrimination law. They knew, right? But it was like I'd gone too far. Mm-hmm. My marriage had gone too far. And so since then, I've done two things. I have become a lot less concerned, I would say, about the repercussions because I can leave. And I'm more determined to file cases to challenge the laws, right? So I filed a case challenging the anti-sodomy law, the, the ban on same-sex intimacy. And that was filed in 2015. Can you imagine we still haven't had a full court hearing on it yet? It's just unbelievable how slow it works. And I've also filed a case challenging the ban on same-sex unions because our constitution since 2012 bans any form of recognition for same-sex unions. So if you are sick, your partner take care of you at hospital. They can't do that. They can't go in. And in one of my cases, I couldn't show up at court one day 
because my partner was ill. He was having a colonoscopy and he needed to be needed to be attended to. And I told my lawyer to tell the court and the court said, well, we can't recognize that as an excuse because same-sex unions are not a union recognized in law in Jamaica. No, it's my partner, you know. So they know I'm married. It's not a mystery. Right. Right. But because they, the, the court is a, has the discretion to use any kind of um, arbitrary reason once you're LGBT. And these are the things people don't think about that. Oh, yes. Well, I, I get away with it all the time. Well, there might be a time when you find the wrong person who said, nope, we're not going to recognize you. You never know when it's going to happen until that situation arises. Your partner is in hospital and you cannot look after them. But their, their mother who they've never spoken to in, haven't spoken to in 50 years can come and take all the assets that you both have built together. Yeah. These are the things that we have to fight. We have to fight for our right to love. We have to fight for our right to live. Absolutely. So how long have you been married? This last year was our 10th year. Okay, congratulations. I know you mentioned that your mom knew that you were gay. You didn't mention anything about your dad. What was that situation? So my father, God bless him, is a wonderful man um, because among other things, he used to drive the the Pride bus in Montego Bay Pride. And so, you know, he's he's an open-minded man when it comes to his children but he's also very steep in his religion. So I won't say that he accepts my same-sex attraction, but he accepts me and loves me as a son. I remember there was an incident when I wanted to take my husband home one year. And um, he basically told me that he had been told by somebody else that I shouldn't bring my husband home because what would the neighbors say? And I said to him, well, you know, you remember my mother is much darker than my father. And I said, think about it, Dad. Suppose your father had said to you that you cannot bring that black woman into this house. Because you know, how Jamaica, we're very shadiest. We're not racist, we're shadiest. <laughs> you know you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> She's too black. So can you imagine if your father, this brown-skinned man, had said to you, you cannot bring that girl into this house because she's too black. What would you have done? Would you have gone back to that house? And he thought about it for a minute and said, you know, you're right. You can come back and your husband, Tom, can come with you. And my father goes with me wherever I need him to go. He's about five foot two and, you know, a little bit man. But he come to protect me. So anywhere I go in, anywhere I need him to be, he'll be there. Does he accept my same-sex attraction? No. And it's not something I try to change because it's, it's him. Does he love me as a son? I believe so. And he loves my husband, which is ironic because... Well, my husband's name is Tom and my father's nickname is Tommy. And they're both religious. My husband is a priest. And they both like gadgets. They like um, eating a fast food. So a little story. My father came to visit when we were living in the States for a little while. My husband was working there. And I couldn't get across the border because I was living in Canada. But my husband is in the in States. My father was coming up to visit us at our home in the States. I couldn't get across the border. So for that entire weekend... My husband and my father were stuck together. <laughs> and I was fretting. I was fretting, fretting, fretting. Right? Because my husband said, make sure you come back because I don't want to have to deal with him by myself. And same. <laughs> well, they had the time of their life going out and eating um, fast food. <laughs> they love shopping for gadgets. And my husband preached um, the sermon that Sunday. So 
at the end of the weekend, my father promptly called me and said, what you feeding your husband? <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, I don't exist no more. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, though. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it it's relationships. Once, you know, mm-hmm. and I think this, this, this is where I want Jamaica to get to, where we realize that we know somebody who's gay, you know, it's a small country. You don't have to think too hard. And all this nonsense you're hearing from the pulpit. Think about the family member who you know is gay or lesbian or trans. Do they exemplify those hateful, deranged behaviors that you hear? Or are they just your family? And if so, why are you buying this story from the pulpit? Mm. Very powerful. Yes. Okay. So what advice would you give to someone in Jamaica that's going through a rough time with self-identity. Yes. It's very difficult to be out in many situations in Jamaica because, as I said, there's no protection in law for um, against discrimination in housing, healthcare, employment. You know, you're really vulnerable. So you have to choose your time carefully. You have to make sure that you are independent enough, whether financially or home-wise, before you do that, because it will have serious repercussions. And unfortunately, Jamaica is not the type of country that you can leave easily because you need a visa to go to the bathroom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So not somewhere you can just run and leave. So I I know it's, it's challenging, but I also know that thanks to COVID, the online community has never been as strong. There are resources. There are people you can reach out to. Even if you want to be incognito, there are many ways you can reach out and you can almost develop a alternate you know, personality and life until you are able to be totally open. You can find friends and colleagues and groups online that you can discuss the struggles you're going through because I know it can be challenging. I've been depressed. Oh my Lord. I was suicidal so many times through my youth because I just, why couldn't I shake this? Why couldn't I not be gay? I, I want to be straight. I, I, I'm doing the wrong thing by being who I am. So I know it can be challenging, but I also know that resources have never been better. Reach out to someone who you trust and you can find help. And we we will get through this together. You know, it. I people like to say it gets better, but I believe it gets better because we make it better. Yes. We will make it better. We're working on the laws. We're pushing the envelope where you can lend your, your small voice um, and uh, reach out. Don't, don't suffer in silence because we're many. We're there. We are there. Not all of us have fled. So the advocacy work and the work you're doing trying to change laws, are you, is that just in Jamaica or you, you're in Canada now, right? Yes, I'm actually working across the Caribbean with many groups um, okay. trying to change laws in different countries. And um, some of the things we've done, including working with international partners such as the HIV Legal Network, many other partners, is to file cases in Dominica and in Barbados. And we have also done police LGBT sensitivity training in nine countries. We've done capacity building for groups 
to help them to identify human rights violations and to report on them, violations against LGBT people. So we've we've done a fair bit, the groups that I've worked with, and I've been privileged to lead some of this work. And now, even though I am, as I've said before, transitioning into healthcare, I still maintain an interest in the cases. When I have the capacity, I do put on courses for LGBT groups on the islands. Like they don't know, you know, how to effectively report so that the police can't dismiss the report. You you have you have to make sure that your case is strong. You know, so I use my legal training in that regard. Um, and I also support the cases that are ongoing. There's a case in Jamaica there. Well, there's actually two cases in Jamaica, um, case in Dominic and a case in Barbados. And the HIV legal network has been tremendous in supporting that effort. So if someone wants to get in touch with you um, to get some legal help or or to get some information about some resources, how can they reach you? So I think the best um, way, because I work as a LGBT consultant with the HIV Legal Network. Okay. Um, that, that's the best way. Just send an email to info at HIVlegalnetwork.ca. Okay. And what if someone wants to make a contribution to Montego Bay Pride? Oh, well, that would be very much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> I have a private GoFundMe. So we set up a company for Montego Bay Pride in 2019. But then because of COVID, we weren't able to follow through with the, the rest of the legal stuff. Right. So I do have a GoFundMe page. And... Um, I thank you for asking about that. The funds will support not only Montego Bay Pride, but also the legal actions. So it's called Keep Me Fighting at 50 <laughs> because I, I launched it on my 50th birthday with the intention that I would raise, because I needed about $50,000 to finance these cases. Um, 50000 US, of course. And um, I haven't quite made it yet, but I'm still hopeful. And if people want to support the work, I would really appreciate any kind of contribution because I have to pay some of it out of my own pocket. I get some funding support, of course, from, you know, other organizations. And then Montego Bay Pride right now is a labor of love. We don't get big funds from international donors. We, we don't get big funds from local companies because supporting LGBT rights in Jamaica is not considered financially viable. If your company is seen to be supporting LGBT work, it will jeopardize their clientele. So if people want to support, the best way to do so is, is through my thing. 50 Still Fighting. We'll definitely help you to get the word out and um, see if we can do some grass work yeah. campaigning to, to get some donors as well. Because that's, yeah. that's a very good cause and we need to fight for equality all across yeah. Yeah. We're really hoping, we're hoping to have Montego Bay Pride last year, even virtual. We're I think the difference with Montego Bay Pride is that we're about visibility. Right. We're about visibility being liberty. And we want to have a physical pride this year. We're desperately trying to have a physical pride because it's a space for, you know, those persons who you described who are not sure how to be themselves. And they they live for this opportunity to just go and spree out, as we say in Jamaica. You can be truly gay 
for at least for a day. Right. Even if you crawl back into your, you know, your shell for the rest of the year. So we want to have a physical presence. We want to have a walk. We want to really keep pushing the envelope. One of the things I'm very proud of, we do a social service event. So like we've painted the police station, you know, in our very gay way. <laughs> we paint a hospital in our very gay way. We yeah. paint a mental asylum. We want people to see us, you know. Absolutely. Um, and safely. We do it in numbers and we do it safely. Because the idea is we want to reinforce that we're here. We're everywhere. We're, every, we're part of the Jamaican society. So you right. can't just think we're going to disappear just because and these things sadly cost money yeah so if anybody can support um the gofundme page 50 still fighting um my name maurice tomlinson i would really appreciate it and it will go a very long way in ensuring that the work continues definitely okay this was a very educational informative and great program Thank you, Maurice Tomlinson, for coming on. And thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of A Queer Understanding. So once again, Maurice Tomlinson is a father, a husband, a human rights attorney, and a nurse. He's a face of a fight for equality in the Caribbean. Thanks, Maurice. It's truly been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to A Queer Understanding. We hope you heard something that resonated with or inspired you. Join us next week right here at A Queer Understanding. And as always, live your truth and be unapologetically you.